episode 17, Patrick and Cyprian discuss how their views and understanding of the quantum world have changed throughout the process of recording Entangled Things. Topics covered include the difficulties of translating quantum computing concepts into easily understood ways, market disruption, optimization, and material design. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Morning, Cyprian. How are you doing? Hi, Patrick. Very well. Looking forward for another great Entangled Things episode. I am as well. So this is the point in the uh, podcast. We've been doing this over six months now, and we want to look back at the journey so far, the retrospective, the what's, what's changed in our viewpoints, what have we learned? Uh, from our guests and from the you know, developments that have going on. So um, <clears throat> what's the first thing that, that jumps out at you of the things that have changed in your perspective on quantum since we started this? Well, before the things that that changed my perspective on quantum, I just uh, want to say, Patrick, wow, we are passing the six-month uh, milestone amazing. for for a podcast, right? And that in itself, I think, is is great <laughs> yeah isn't one episode a dog year is that that how it works i don't know it's <laughs> the, most podcasts don't make it this far we've been good we've got a lot of good support you and i too so um but we've been having great guests everyone that's been on the show has been, been fantastic to talk about the last episode that just um dropped was was super interesting we've had big names d wave is now coming and talking to us um and so so it's really exciting um but i think what what I'd like to do is this, do these kinds of episodes every, you know, six months or so to kind of look back at where we are and, and what's changed. Because this is a very fast changing environment. Oh, yeah, definitely. And coming back to your to your question, I would say there are at least two important things that uh, happened uh, to me while doing these uh, episodes uh, through the past half year or, or even more. Uh, one is um, I think there is... Uh, let's say, a much better structure in my head uh, with respect to the various aspects of quantum computing, the various directions of research. As you mentioned, we've learned a lot of new stuff from, uh, our, from our guests. And then the, the second one is, I think I'm starting to get a sense of how difficult it is in reality to translate quantum computing to a language that regular people understand, right? Remember, from the very beginning, the, the, the goal of our podcast was not to speak like the PhD gibberish uh, that would be completely out of reach for, for most listeners, but on the contrary, to try to, to speak the, the quantum computing language in a way that at least makes some of the concepts uh, reachable, understandable to, to our audience. And six months plus into the process, I now realize the, hard. the, the difficulty of, it's of, really hard. of this task. Yeah, well, that's yeah. what we're trying to explore. We're trying to figure out how, <clears throat> how will this be conceptualized by the next generation? So the first guest we had, Richard Campbell, um, really helped us put a, a finger on it is we're trying to learn from the past by 
doing the things that worked with classical computing. And what we what we noticed with classical computing was we would we would arrive at a certain level of computing and then we would trade some of that computing back for ease of use. So the movement from binary coding to um, representative language coding was a huge boost for productivity for the human, but it meant the computer was carrying more load. You could get less done because you had to have compiled language. There were there were extra steps, but it was worth it. There's that trade-off. And we're still in the infancy here, but I some of our guests have, like Nawson and, and some of the others, have talked about ways of, of understanding. Um, Elizabeth talked about cubos and and ways that D-Wave is making um, solutions programmatic on their platform. And, and it was kind of surprising to hear D-Wave talking about fundamental scientific research being conducted on their computer. That's like I'm buying a Dell and uh, I'm going to then use it to discover some kind of muon or something. It's all kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I I bet that that not even the ones who are kind of deeply involved in 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 the field can imagine all the possible applications of uh what's happening today in in quantum computing in say 6 months or 12 months or 2 years from from now right it's hard it's, to be a futurist when the present is so weird uh, exactly and and i think the example that you mentioned where uh, we we had the the, the folks from from d wave when we actually learned that yeah they they do a lot of solving optimization problems and 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 things like that but they're also kind of simulating right uh uh quantum systems uh with their um quantum annealing processors which was for for me, it was a, a very, very interesting well, uh, development in itself, the, right? That's the realization of the dream. Richard Feynman said famously, we're going to probably need a quantum computer to model quantum systems. That's where we are. We're, we're, we're starting to realize that vision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the reality is there is, uh, as you already mentioned, there's a lot going on in, in, in this field. And... If you are a beginner or you just want to to understand what the heck is this all quantum computing stuff about, uh, you find it to be a very, very difficult task in the beginning because you hear all these uh, exotic words like, I don't know, superposition, entanglement, and you cannot measure state and so forth and so forth, right? Um, I at least hope that uh, in our episodes so far, we we managed to kind of unwrap some of the mystery the weirdness. Uh, uh, around around these these fundamental concepts. Not that it can be completely unwrapped, because it's it, it's still fascinating and it's still very difficult to kind of visualize to picture in your mind some of the fundamental processes that quantum computing is based on. But I I sincerely hope that. Uh, we are starting to to develop a way of talking about quantum computing that is within the reach of a much larger uh, mass of enthusiasts, of, of people who are interested in, in the field, of people who do not necessarily want to kind of become quantum computing wizards, but they want to understand the potential impact to understand the potential applications, what's going on 
today in this field? How much is hype versus how much is reality and, and things like this? So that's interesting that you bring, because what you're making me think about is what, what are the minimum requirements to actually have enough of an understanding to make sense of it? And, and that's a question that's come back several times to us. We, talk, we talked about it in some of the first episodes. We talked about it with Nossin at length. Um, so let, let's hit that for a minute. Um, I think that you need to have enough of an understanding of superposition, superposition to accept that a qubit is not just a, a, a fickle bit. That a qubit is um, is more of a of a of a spectrum uh, uh, between zero and one, and that gives it what I would call infinite range. So the way I would describe superposition as it applies to quantum computing in a way that people would need to accept is in in classical computing a bit is zero or one. And in quantum computing, it's zero to one, which is an infinite line, infinite space. And that yeah. the probabilities are measured by testing the same thing over and over again. And maybe 72% of the time, it turns up heads and 70, you know, the other percentage of the time, 28% uh, of the time, it turns up tails. And so that gives you the probability and therefore the answer. But there's no cut and dry black and white answer. That's the first thing you have to accept. It's not deterministic. Doing something with quantum sometimes will result, most of the time will result in the right answer, but sometimes you'll have errant answers that you have to ignore. So you have to take the aggregate probabilities. That sounds common sense, but there's still a lot of underlying math thinking about probability. So you have to be not terrified of math. I think it helps at least at this point in, in time. I don't think we've gotten to the point where someone can just plug, you know, Lego brick their way to quantum supremacy. Uh, yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, agree with you, Patrick. And I would also add that I believe there are, let's say, several layers of understanding that are required uh, to kind of get a glimpse into the world of of quantum computing. Uh, for, yeah. for 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 instance, if you want to start developing algorithms in the world of quantum computing, and I think we had at least a couple of episodes, if not more. Uh, dedicated on 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 this this topic, yes. right? You 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 need to have a, a good understanding of the the probabilistic way in which qubits can be uh, convinced, so to speak, to uh, transition through multiple states in a way that they converge to a state that once measured reveals the potential solution. This is, in fact, one of the big challenges yeah. in, in quantum computing because uh, simply by measuring the state, the state collapses, you don't get a meaningful information unless you repeat the measurement an infinite amount of time to get an exact result, which is practically impossible, right? Then you have these kind of techniques like amplitude amplification, for example, where you uh, basically attempt to convince a bunch of qubits to transition their states multiple times up to a point where the cumulated state of that system of, let's say, 100 qubits, 200, 1,000 qubits actually gives you some kind of information about the solution of your, of your problem. So if you want to do this, then in addition to what you mentioned, right, 
you will need some understanding, some mathematical understanding of probabilities and things like that. But let's be clear that that's the requirement to write an algorithm. And at the time, at the current time, somebody who writes an algorithm that's very useful gets their names in the annals of history, like like Peter Shore and Grover and Deutsch. I mean, that's a very high bar. We're still, we're still, you know, around the level of to be able to write an algorithm that's generally useful. Now, it you still go in the record books, you still go in the history books. So, oh, yeah, yeah. So we're we're talking about now. That's the the goal. That's my goal personally. I want to be able to write an algorithm that helps change the world. Uh, Shore's algorithm is a good example. Uh, Grover's algorithm, to name a f- the top two. But I think we're much closer and there's much lower bar for people to leverage it to get what they need. So as more of these algorithms, and and my confidence is high that other algorithms will emerge that are equally useful, as they become more um, uh, uh, available, more defined, that languages like C-sharp and and Qiskit and Silk uh, and Circ and all these others are going to make it easier. Because you'll be able to just call the shores function and pass it a number. Or you'll be able to, um, and I know you're more the Grover guy, and, and I have trouble conceptualizing the use of Grover over shores. Maybe it's because of my specialty in security. But, but we're really close now to, um, oh, I need, I need a Fourier transform performed at a quantum, on a quantum system. I'm going to use uh, IBM's computer through Amazon. Or Microsoft or I on Q's computer through Microsoft, and I'm going to have that calculation done. A lot of the, there's a lot of composers that will let you drag and drop your way to a circuit that you don't have to understand for it to work. Yeah, and, and that's the way most people learn programming. Most people learn programming by writing codes they didn't understand but worked. And uh, so at I least they, they didn't understand the the, the inner working. Right, uh, they, of, they of wrote that a line, piece of code. Right, they wrote a line that allocated memory, but they didn't know what that meant. They wrote a line that assigned a variable, but they only kind of knew what that meant. They called a function and got back a value, but they didn't know what that meant. That's the way that people learn programming in the beginning. A lot of times, is they they see something and then they learn the elements that make it up. And I think we're not quite there yet. There's still the elements still aren't as easily defined. You still need to know. And wade through a lot of the, the the physics and math, and I'll call them muck, even though they're interesting and and, and beautiful things. Um, they they're very intimidating by to most people. Yeah, and you know one of the reasons why it's still hard is because you don't have all the building blocks at an accessible level, right? So to give you a simple example, you mentioned the Fourier transform. Right. Yeah. There is already, if you think, let's say, on the Microsoft stack in Q Sharp, you do have a, a very nice routine that you can you can call to to calculate the the so-called QFT, the quantum Fourier transform. Right. Yeah. But to get to the point where the states are prepared for that, to get to the point where you use the results of that, you still need to work with with individual qubits and setting states and and running some gates on top of them and 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 so forth. So uh, there is a, an important difference compared to the early days of programming languages where you think about assembler, right? You literally had all the building blocks there. And if you 
uh, were able to understand a limited number of of um, assembler uh, commands, you were literally able to write any kind of of of, of program. We're not there yet in terms of of, of quantum computing, but uh, what really gives me hope, Patrick, is I see a lot in addition to the fundamental research, which means building the machines, building the gates, and so forth, building the, the quantum processors, I see a lot of very big and important players focusing on, focusing on building ecosystems, which means yeah. uh, multiple hardware uh, suppliers, uh, uh, multiple uh, um, s- support for multiple languages, abstraction, uh, investment in, in languages themselves. You mentioned uh, a, a, a couple of them, a lot of documentation, a lot of trainings, a lot of notebooks, uh, and, 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 so, and, and so forth. And, and I think this is the way, uh, to, paraphrase, uh, to paraphrase a... Uh, very uh, loved uh, series. This is the way to get to that point where um, quantum computing becomes really accessible in a way that it's your efforts will be dedicated more to solve a problem rather than to understand the inner workings of quantum computing in order to be able to get to the point where you can start thinking about solving the problem where we are right now. So we agree. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we agree that the we're still in the pre-tool state and that that's hopefully coming rapidly. But I mean everybody that's listening to this now has an interest in quantum. What do you think is going to be this the the watershed event that um that makes everyone want to understand this technology? With when, when this I mean I've always talked about this, like, what if you could know the super buzzword 10 years in advance? And I, I think we're probably less than 10 years from when this becomes the fodder for every magazine article in under the sun. But we're, we're already in those pre-days. We're, people, there's those who pay attention to quantum and those who don't. And we're very badly outnumbered right now. But there'll be some moment when something hits the news and the world will be like, wow, quantum's real. Let, let's, let's dig into it. What do you think that is? I have a firm opinion on what I think that will be. From my point of view, it's going to be either of two possible uh, important events. One is something will happen that is uh, connected somehow to the field of security, right? Mm. Either uh, proving that a large number can be factorized efficiently or 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 anything or actually anything else actually threatening or breaking a 1024 yeah. RSA encryption would be yeah, yeah. that event uh, or along the same line uh, demonstrating uh, let's say highly stable high throughput quantum type of communication which proves to be super secure like uh, significant orders of magnitude more secure than what can be achieved today or something like that. The other potential event will be a breakthrough in the field of optimization, right? Um, bringing to the table a highly efficient, quick solution to one of the very difficult problems of optimization, 
that we face today, proving that it can be significantly uh, more uh, uh, significantly resolved in a in a significantly quicker way than with classical computing uh, uh, resources, and demonstrating the practical impact of that particular optimization uh, problem solution could be the other one. The reason why I'm kind of uh, oscillating between the two is I'm not very sure which one of these might occur first in time, right? There's a lot of hype about the security one, but as we've also seen with some of our guests, there is a lot of practical world uh, work that that goes into the the optimization uh, with quantum has computing. Annealing has a huge head start over general gate quantum computing, and and that's that's going to reach uh, middle maturity long before uh, quantum gate. So I had another scenario in mind that I think would probably light the world's imagination on fire, but I definitely agree with the ones you've just highlighted, especially the security one. Um, is if someone can use this in material science to solve um, the nitrogen fixation problem because I don't think it's I don't think it's that big of a problem that that you can't do it with the annealing um, technology. I think the molecules are small enough that we might be able to figure it out. And if we figure that out and it saves two billion barrels of oil a year, I, I think that might make the world notice as well. So oh. I think. It's yep, interesting. Yep. We've we've talked about three general areas, but but there are three very important areas. One is security, which is represented by Shor's algorithm and quantum key distribution. One is optimization, which is the quantum annealing's Ballywick, you know, in a nutshell. And one is material science, which is the other frontier that this promises. Those those are the three things that I think you could firmly say quantum has the most likelihood to disrupt. And and just to be clear, this is not to say that the big disruptor could could not come from a completely different area, uh, like I don't know, uh, quantum applied in machine learning or 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 whatever. Right. Uh, at this point in time, though, um, I would have to agree with you. These look to be uh, the most promising, uh, let's say, areas or the most promising uh, uh, fields. But again. Uh, with the complexity and the speed of change that we see today in the world of, of, of quantum computing, like nothing is, is set or not, nothing is settled, not even for the next three months or the next six months. Maybe not even the uh, next three years. Yeah, that there's, there's, there's so much going on. And um, at, at, at some point, it's, it's clear that, that all this interest and to be very honest, the huge amounts of, of, of R&D money that is pumped into these, these, these initiatives, right, uh, will, will, will yield uh, results. So we've, we've just identified three areas, which are interesting because they're gradients along a curve. So the first one is pure disruption. So Shor's algorithm, uh, obsoleting, uh, or rendering rendering um, useless o- older encryptions and quantum key distribution replacing it, along with other things like um, you know elliptical curve encryption things like that. Um, those are those are disruption, pure disruption. They're going to change that market, change that industry, and upset the uh, that the card table. The second one is optimization, 
And that's a competition. Can quantum computing do it and demonstrate supremacy over classical computing? I think it can. I think it will. But um, that's that's actually a, a dead. It's a competition with something that quant that regular computers can already do. So it's a disruption, but it's more of a disruption of competition, doing it better. And the third one, materials design is an enabler. We're in the infancy of quantum computing, but we're also in the infancy of material design. When you look at the fact that chemistry just really hasn't benefited from classical computing the way other sciences have, quantum could be its its ticket to to faster development. And I, I was reading something recently about MIT. I think, you know, I've taken a few courses there on quantum and, and, and think they've got a very good program online. And they've developed magnets for the tokamak, the fusion reactor, that will create 20 Teslas of, elect- of magnetism, which is an enormous amount. And the former version of these magnets use 200 million volts or 200 million watts uh, to be powered. And the new ones use 30 watts, not 30 million, 30 because of a superconductor and a room temperature or a high temperature, they didn't say room temperature, a high temperature superconductor. So it might only, it might work at a hundred below zero instead of, you know, 150 below zero. Um, and so it's that material that makes the big difference. And the article talked about the fact that fusion, you know, net energy fusion will be enabled by these new magnets because there's so much less energy going in. And that, is only enabled because they have these superconductors that work at higher temperatures and we're going to get a virtuous cycle, I think. And I think that's when this really breaks out and the adoption curve and the money, as you say, will, will, will change the, 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 the landscape. And it's always been my concern that this isn't like big data or ML or AI or those other fields, which are, you know, quite complicated and quite technical but you can learn them in a in a reasonable amount of time, whether that's measured in in quarters or years. Quantum something that if you don't start delving into it and accepting some of these things, some of these things just take a long time to come to you. And so I worry that we need to a way to get people to be useful in this field, or we're going to have a staff shorting that'll make the cyber staff shorting look like nothing in the future. Well, that's that's a very interesting topic that you're 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 opening, Patrick. I think. Well, uh, I distinctly remember that that episode when when we were uh, uh, talking about uh, the initiatives that were supported uh, uh, by by the D-Wave processors around programmable materials, mm. right? Um, and I think uh, like like. Uh, programmable matter on generally speaking is is i think is or should be one of the big bets of 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 humanity right we we really need that kind of 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 let's say uh knowledge capability as the human race to support to sustain our advancement and uh why not also our our survival now Getting back to the shortage of of talent uh, in 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 the field, I I think it's quantum computing will be like or has the potential to be the 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 icing on the cake, so to speak, because 
as you mentioned, we already see it in a lot of fields or a lot of areas uh, that are directly tied to classical computing, like security, like AI and, and, and machine learning and, 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 and things like, like that. So the speed at which quantum computing will become reachable to the masses, I think will have a significant influence on the potential shortage or, uh, uh, on, on us being able to avoid the shortage of, of talent. However, this is where I fully agree uh, on, uh, with what you, you, you said, is the learning curve for quantum is, at least at this point, significantly different than the learning curve for anything, uh, for, for anything else, classical computing uh, uh, in, in, in included. So this is where I believe the the, the two worlds kind of uh, are are set are set apart because I don't think uh, and I always take myself as the guinea pig as as the example the classical the traditional way of learning stuff where um, you kind of develop a mental logical model you find a way to picture it in your head. And then you you understand it, or if you don't, you repeat the process until you are able to 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 understand it. I don't think that way of learning things applies to 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 quantum uh, uh, in general and to quantum quantum computing. You actually not only have to reset what you know, but I always tell to 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 the ones I talk uh, about this topic. You have to reset the way you know, the way yeah. you learn, <laughs> and 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 that is a much more difficult process than you think? than than uh, <laughs> it appears at first sight. <laughs> yeah, it's well. I mean, I I think I've shared this story very very early on. The way I got into this in a big way, I've always been interested in physics, and I've always been pretty good at math. And um, and you and I were closely associated as Microsoft Regional Directors together back uh, many moons ago. And you sent me a um, a video, a link to a lecture that you did on quantum, and I I confess that I was trying to go to sleep, so I figured I would watch it. <laughs> and and so I had some guests over. I was sleeping on a couch, and I figured, well, I'll watch this very technical, likely you know very very mathematical lecture. And uh, you know, even though my friend is quite interesting. Um, I'm sure I'll be asleep in 15 minutes and an hour and 15 minutes later, I was cursing and, and celebrating your name at, at the same time. And I was hooked. I, I was just like, I couldn't get enough of it. I don't think I slept much that night, but, um, and then we started talking about it on a regular basis. Um, and I, I look at my learning cycle cause it's been completely, um, outside of academics. I, I, I didn't take any course on this until last year. Uh, when I took the MIT course, actually, was that earlier this year? Might have even been earlier this year when I took the MIT courses, which were very helpful. Um, and so I can relate very closely to those that are going to have to teach themselves. Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, I, I think the, the, the fact that we are past the six-month uh, mark, so to speak, right, in addition to uh, uh, demonstrating that we have a certain level of, of let's say, stubbornness and stamina <laughs> going on with this, I think it also shows, if we look at some of the stats and of the, of the numbers of our podcast, that 
there is some white space here. There is a certain level of expectation. Uh, there is a certain need for these kind of, uh, let's call them informal uh, ways of disseminating the, the the information and the knowledge around quantum uh, quantum computing, I I think the world is uh, ready to start looking at 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 quantum uh, uh, quantum computing. Obviously, the the process could be significantly accelerated if one of those major disruptions occurs that we that that we mentioned. But the fact still remains that. Now we start to understand more and more um, what are the real limitations of classical computing. We now start to understand that no matter how many data centers we build, no, no matter how many CPUs or GPUs or, or TPUs of, of whatever, you name it, we build, there's going to be a ceiling, a hard limit that we will not be able to exceed because again, no matter how much classical computing power it just doesn't scale we, we we build, it will not scale to the point where the problems that are difficult today to solve become easier to solve or even uh, approachable uh, one year, two years, three well, years from from now in 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 effect, what I would dare to say is that we are now in the world of linear uh, improvements in uh, in classical computing and uh, that provides as I said a clear limitation so maybe I'm just thinking here loudly maybe it will turn out that the way we understand today quantum computing is is not even the way that that quantum computing or the next generation computing will happen 50 years from now. But I'm firmly convinced that there needs to be something exponentially more powerful than classical computing. Otherwise, we will have a very, very difficult time solving some of the crucial problems that we need to solve, let's say, in the next decades or in the next couple of centuries as a human race. Yeah. So in the last few minutes that we have, let's talk about something that I think everyone could use as a reminder because it touches on what you just said. Um, what I'd like to do is just recap the, the way that quantum offers what you're talking about. So when I have binary bits, classical computing bits, let's say I have 32 bits, 32 on and off switches. And that's the way I describe them. A bit in a classical computing sense is just an on and off switch, a zero or a one and 32 bits which happens to be how many bits are in my IP address, have 4 billion roughly uh, unique combinations. I can, I, can, I can describe 4 billion plus unique states with 32 bits. With 32 qubits, I would be able to describe a much larger space. And, and, and the way to think of it is, a 32-bit value in classical computing can represent any one of those 4 billion states. But a quantum 32-qubit system can represent all of them. So if I need to do you know, 10 calculations on the value to find what I'm looking for, 
I need to run it 40 billion times on a classical computer to go, to go through every iteration, but I only need to do it 10 times on the quantum. And I probably should repeat it a hundred times. So it's, it's only a thousand, a thousand steps. And that's where the, the power comes from. Am I correct? Am I, am I describing that the way you would describe it? Yeah, yeah. The only thing that I would add is it actually a system of 32 qubits is capable of of handling a combination, a probabilistic combination of of all two at the power of 32 potential states, simply because um, 32 qubits describe a system that can have two at the power of 32 different states. And then the state of the system can be any linear combination of all those 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 states. That's like the 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 awesome, unbelievable power, potential power in in quantum. Because with classical, if you actually want to kind of achieve right the 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 same thing, it it becomes very quickly very very difficult let's build a little bit on top of your example patrick mm-hmm. you take thir- two at the power of 32 states right uh four billion su- suppose you want to keep the probabilities in the simplest possible form like one byte from let's say zero to a hundred in terms of, of of probabilities for those states right this means that for two at the power of 32, you will roughly need four billion plus bytes of memory to keep that state, right? Yeah. So you can theoretically, well, even practically do it with classical computing. But the moment you want to handle a larger number of states, say you want to handle uh, in excess of... Uh, 1K. Or if not even 1K, 200, 300, right? Uh, combinations, which is two at the power of 200 or two at the power of 300, right? Think about the simplest possible thing in material science. You want to simulate Complex sugar. The, the, you want to simulate the behavior of 200 electrons, right? Yeah. So that will need a number of bytes for memory just to store that which exceeds the number of particles in the known universe. Right, and it just gets worse from there. Well, uh, yeah, but quantum computing works in a fundamental way like, like, like nature works. And, 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 and this is the, let's say, potentially uh, tappable power of this 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 uh, uh, model of, of of computing, which is 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 just mind bending. To be very clear for everybody, everything you hear, everything we we talked about in this podcast, in all the other podcasts in the world, everything that the big players are doing, uh, IBM, D-Wave, Rigetti, uh, OneCubit, uh, Microsoft, and 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 Google, and so forth, right, is barely scratching the surface yeah. of the potential. Of, of quantum computing. I think you're right. So I think we're out of time. I think these are, these are good like reminders for us and hopefully the listeners on where we've come from and where we're going. 
Um, it is also our intention to at the at the uh, near the anniversary of the show to revisit the basics, to revisit what is superposition, what is entanglement, and and cover who the players are because that's all going to change. Um, and and I think that's that's really what people need to keep hearing. So it's great talking to you, Cyprian, and uh, and thanks for your insights. Great talking to you, Patrick. As always, till next time. Bye.